It's a pretty simple game, really, where one person on a team gets a card in which they try to need to get the rest of the team to say that word. The opposing team is given a buzzer in which they buzz if the person says one of the taboo words that they cannot say. Say, for example, I had the card and the word was boat. Perhaps some of the taboo words that I could not say to get my team to say boat would be the words water or ship. And so they used the buzz, buzz, to say you cannot say that word. Now, sometimes I like to think we play church taboo. Metaphorically speaking, when someone gets up to talk about something that makes us uncomfortable, something that we would rather not talk about. This isn't the time, this isn't the place to do that. We, in our minds, drown them out or dismiss the content, perhaps just to ignore what's being said. I'll give you a few examples. Well, today's message is all about gun control and how we should... Well, I just want to spend a little time this morning talking about vaccinations and whether or not you should... Let's just open up this morning talking about the Democrats and the Republicans and really dive into the issue of... You see, whether it's politics, race, global ignorance, social economics, the LGBTQ community, and many, many, many more, oftentimes we want to bzz, 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 and say, that's taboo in the church. We don't talk about that. We don't address that. Let's just avoid all that together. Here's the tough part, is that Jesus didn't do well with church taboo. Oftentimes when he was teaching or telling a story, He would comfort the afflicted. He would afflict the comfortable. He would address issues that would upset people on both sides of the fence. Sometimes he spoke directly, and other times he spoke in story or in parable to address what the kingdom of heaven ought to look like in this life. You see, Jesus, he used parables to depict how followers of Jesus, we call them disciples, ought to live their life here and now on this planet Earth as they expectantly wait for their life with God then and there. What is a parable we've been talking about? Parables are this. Parables are fictional short stories with earthly examples to convey a spiritual truth. And so Jesus, he would use the the context of that time and and introduce people or things that we could relate to, or at least that audience, to convey a truth that might not be received if it was blunt or direct. You see, parables, they're, they're, they're not fairy tales. They're not statements about the obvious. They're not good old stories that you tell kids before you they go to sleep at night. Parables were given to provoke to discomfort and to indict those who are oftentimes unwilling to listen. They were given, and they were given to elicit a visceral, emotional response as you heard them. Perhaps you felt something similar to that as you watched the bumper into this message. And so as we continue in today's teaching discussion about some of the parables of Jesus, the story we're going to unpack today is one that you would probably easily recognize and one that I would argue has been overly sanitized to mean something that it does not. Why? Well, it's because parables, they're given to teach us things we might not want to hear. They're stories to, to, to impact our hearts, to transform us in a way that we might not readily accept or push back from because we think they're taboo. 
And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10 this morning. Book of Luke chapter 10. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. The fourth book in the New Testament is John. Collectively, these four books make up what we call the Gospels. They give us a a biography of the life of Jesus. We have the Old Testament, the first massive chunk of the Bible that is about the ancient people of God, the Israelites, and how they continue to show us that we need a permanent solution for our sin that we come to find out as Jesus. The New Testament opens with the birth of Jesus, leads us through the birth of the early church, almost a point back saying, because of Jesus, therefore this is how we live life. And so today's short story is perhaps the most widely understood the most widely adapted, the most widely uh, used in our phrasing today. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You see, there was this lawyer who was driving down the road, and he saw these two men off onto the side eating some grass. So he's a little perplexed. So he pulls over and he rolls down his window and he asks them to find out more. Excuse me, guys, uh, wh- why are you guys eating grass? And they said, well, we have no money to eat and so therefore we eat grass. Wanting to be a good Samaritan, the lawyer says, well, why don't you guys come home to my house and I will feed you? The two men eating grass, they looked at one another, wipe the the pieces of grass from their face, and then they say, okay, sure, that sounds good, and they hop in the man's car. The man drives them along as he pulls onto his street. He leans back to him and says, well, hey, we're almost to my house. This place is awesome. You're going to love it. The grass is almost a foot high. See, the term Good Samaritan for us means a lot of things. It oftentimes is somebody whose kind goes out of their way for a stranger. We have hospitals, we have nonprofits that use the same moniker. Even the sitcom Seinfeld has an entire episode about the Good Samaritan law. So let's dive in this morning to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Anything but a story about vague kindness. Before we get into the actual parable, there's kind of a setup that I need to lead you into. See, at this point, Jesus has this large crowd kind of following him. He's got his disciples and and this mass of people that is gathered. And there's one man in particular. They tell us he is a man of the law. He's an expert in the law. He is a lawyer. And he tries to trip up Jesus by raising his hand and asking a question. And Jesus looks at the man and says, yes, what can I do for you? And the man says to Jesus, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's a big question, isn't it? It's an important question. It's a question that you yourself might be asking this morning. And so Jesus responds, well, Mr. Lawyer, man, sir, you know a lot about the law. Why don't you summarize for me what you think it means? And when Jesus uses the word law, he's not talking about some of the laws that we have. He's talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so the lawyer responds. He says, well, if I were to sum it up, I would kind of say it's two things. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Jews would have called this the Shema. And then he says, also, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies to the men, well, well yeah, you, you've got it. That's accurate. What seems to be the problem? And the man kind of pauses, kind of looks around at the people in the crowd, and he says, well, who, who exactly, Jesus, who would you say is my neighbor? You see, I get the whole part between me and God, but but who really is my neighbor? 
See, I think a lot of us, uh, we go through faith thinking that our faith is simply about us and God. That's all faith is about, just you, your relationship with God. I joke with people oftentimes that, you know, following Jesus, being a disciple would be so much easier if it wasn't for a bunch of people ruining the whole thing around me. But the thing is, our faith needs to impact every relationship in this life. Our relationship with God, relationship with our family, our relationship with our boss, our coworkers, our friends, and yes, even the people that you've never met before, the strangers along the road that you encounter. Our faith is between us and God, but it impacts all who are our neighbor. See, the lawyer, by asking the question, who is my neighbor, is basically asking Jesus a different question. Jesus, who do I actually have to love? He's looking for a loophole, probably trying to decide if there's certain types of people he doesn't need to extend compassion to in his life. And Jesus says, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you the story. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30, begins with this. It says, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. See, it's funny that uh, this story kind of starts off like a really corny joke, doesn't it? A man, a woman, and a dog all walk into a bar type of situation. And so we have this man who we learn is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what that basically tells us that this was a Jewish man because that was the route that most Jews took. And then we get introduced to the three characters in this story. We get the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, most of us are familiar with this thing called the rule of three. We don't really call it that, but it kind of, it's that way in which if I give you the first two, you can naturally uh, assume the third. Let me give you a few examples this morning. If we're talking about classic television, and I say Curly, and then I say Larry, you would respond with? Good. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. Some of our younger crowd are like, ooh, what's going on there, right? If I say rock, paper, you say? If I say Facebook, Twitter, you might say it's harvest season, so I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but let's just say I say case, caterpillar, John Deere, right? For all my office fans out there, we've got bears, beets, and 
Battlestar Galactica, that's right. And so when Jesus says there's a priest walking down the road, there's a Levite, the crowd is anticipating the third to be, well, a Jew. Of course, a Jew would be there. And Jesus begins to flip everything upside down by saying there's a priest, there's a Levite, and then there's a Samaritan. Now, for us, we might easily lose this context. You see, the priests were the, the people chosen, the descendants of Aaron, who would take care of the ancient temple, the place of worship. Then you had the Levites. The Levites were the descendants of Jacob. They would be assistants in the temple. And so you can, they might be guessing, okay, well, you've got the people who run the temple. You've got the people who assist in the temple. Then it's probably just the rest of the people of God. And Jesus then throws this curveball by saying, there's a priest, there's a Levite, and then there's a Samaritan. You see, if I were to call you a Samaritan today, you might take that as a compliment. Oh, you might have saw me doing something nice. I might have helped an old lady across the street type of deal. But in this time, in this context, the Samaritan was the exact opposite. The Samaritan was not a friend. The Samaritan was an enemy. You see, Samaritans were considered half-blood traitors of the Jewish people because they chose to live with and marry non-Jewish people. They weren't just outcasts. They weren't just people who decided a different way. They were considered the enemy. Jesus even interacts with a woman, a Samaritan woman by the well in John chapter 4. Look at this interaction. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You see, when Jesus goes a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan, it's, it's pretty unthinkable. It's not just picking some other random person or name. It's not going, well, we have Curly, we have Larry, and then we have Steve. It's visceral. It's emotive. It's like saying we have the priest, we have the Levite, and then we have Hitler. The whole crowd would get silent. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, hold up. You're, you're saying that the, 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 the priest and the Levite walk past the man in the ditch? It's, it's the other way. He's a Jewish man. The Samaritan should be, the enemy should be the one who walks by this man, Jesus. What do you mean, the priest and the Levite? What are you getting at here? This is, this is just crazy. Hold up, Jesus. I don't really want to talk about this. It makes me uncomfortable. This, this isn't really the place or the time. This isn't very kosher. You're, you're kind of stepping on my toes a little bit. See, some, some people try to say, well, the reason that the priest and the Levite went on their way, they passed on the other side of the road, is because they didn't want to become what would be considered ritually unclean. And this doesn't make any sense because if they were going from Jerusalem where the temple was down to Jericho, the ritual cleanliness was no longer of concern for the time being. Further, if you look in the Old Testament law, both Leviticus 19 and Exodus chapter 23, you can see God's intent for all mankind, but specifically the Jewish people, to care for other people, strangers in a foreign land, refugees who need a place to stay. Essentially, what we see is the priest and the Levite giving zero consideration for one of them own. Regardless of reason, they are not loving their neighbor as themselves. It's one of their own people, a fellow Jew, lying there dying. And they can't be 
bothered to stop and help. The, uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., arguably one of the most influential men in our country's history, has a sermon on this exact passage. And in this passage, he asserts and he speculates. He says, perhaps the reason that the priest and the Levite did not stop for the man in the ditch is because they asked themselves, well, there's robbers along the road. What might happen to me if I stop to help this man? And then he goes on to say, but the Samaritan stops and asks himself, what might happen to him if I don't stop to help? See, one could say that the Reverend King stopped along the road to help the Samaritans in Memphis, even though there were bandits waiting for him. What might happen to this country if I don't show respect and dignity and fight for what is right even though I might know what is waiting for me around the corner. You see from here the Samaritan man goes beyond to care for the man lying in the ditch in some pretty incredible ways. It says he bandages him up when he uses oil and wine. All of those things were, were not cheap. They were expensive luxuries. It says he, he picks up the man, he, he takes him out of the ditch, places him on his own donkey and says, you ride in my spot and I will walk next to you to an inn, no matter how far it is, so that you can have a place to heal and become whole again. If that's not a sign of reconciliation, I don't know what is. And then he gets to the inn and the innkeeper begins to take care of this man and then he returns with two denarii which would have been two full days wages. But if you took it in that time, this is two months worth of lodging. And then he says, if there's any more expense, I will come back and pay for the difference. You see, you know what the, the Samaritan didn't do? He didn't get to the man along the side of the road and just say, well, if only you looked like me, I would stop and help. If only you, 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 you dressed like me, believed what I believed, if you, if you only thought like I did, if, if, if only we were more similar, then I would treat you with compassion and dignity. No, no, the Samaritans said, I don't care. You need help, and I can provide it. I will give it to you. It's not fathomable to think the Samaritans' actions are one of love. Through compassion, through dignity, even when he might not have received any if the roles were reversed. The compassion, the care is extraordinary. It's virtually limitless. And it was all for an enemy. This is how the parable concludes, picking back up in verse 36. Jesus looks at the man and says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What well, makes me want to ask a question. Why would Jesus give us an example 
of this limitless love and call us to do likewise. I think it's to understand that our faith in Jesus doesn't just affect him and us, but our neighbor as well. To be reminded that there is only one who has done this adequately and perfectly, that is Jesus himself. Think about how this story started. Love God, love people, this is what God requires of us. And Jesus looks at this lawyer and he tells him this parable. And it's all about how Jesus' relationship, our relationship with God, ought to be influencing our relationship with everyone else, our neighbors. And so in this story, I think we need to take a step back and start here by understanding that we ourselves start in the ditch. And it was our enemy who stopped along the road, who died on a cross, took his final breaths, went to the tomb, rose three days later to redeem us, to make us whole yet again. The Apostle Paul recounts this idea in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, when he says this, when he says, For if while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son, being Jesus. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? You see, you and I, we find ourselves in the ditch of this life, and that ditch is called sin. We're beaten up, we're broken, we're robbed of all semblance. We cannot find ways of the strength to fight out those bandits on ourselves. But instead, we are left for eternal death. And Jesus, our enemy in those moments, approaches our sinful being. He comes to our rescue. He rides triumphantly on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem to take on the weight of our sin, our shame, the guilt of everything that we have created in this life. And he says, no, no, I will dismount and I will put you on my spot. You will sit on my throne next to me, next to God, because of how I will care for you, because I will show you love and compassion and mercy, even when you yourself cannot get out. We are eternally saved by the man who starts as our enemy. It's the enemy who is pursuing us. Because God and sin cannot exist, but the face of our enemy becomes the face of the one who saves us, our Messiah, our Savior. In Jesus, our Samaritan, he rescues us from the ditch, not just so we can hang out with him, but so we can go and do likewise. So that we can treat our neighbors, love them as ourselves. You know, recently there uh, an incident in the news, probably a little over a month ago. There's a young black man by the name of Botham Jean who was killed by an off-duty white female uh, police officer in the Dallas era. Her name was Amanda Geiger. During her trial and jury, Botham's brother Brant takes the stand. And in a moment in which we would probably say, it's okay to feel hatred, it's okay to feel vitriol, where we would probably say, be angry, he responds in this manner. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, 
I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. Go and do likewise, Jesus said. See, when you boil down the story of the Good Samaritan, it's not about, hey, just be kind to the random person you may encounter. Even though that certainly ought to happen, this story is about treating every single person you run into. In our age, we probably have to say that in person and or online with compassion and dignity. Why? Because Jesus showed us that same compassion and dignity first. Jesus wraps up his parable with this command. Go and do likewise, not go and choose likewise. See, far too often we like to think we get to choose who is worthy of our respect, our dignity, our love, mercy, compassion in this life. And Jesus says, that is so not the way life ought to be lived under my Father's reign. See, we as Christians, we as the church, we need to be known for how we restore other people, not how we reject them. We need to be known for how we show dignity, not how we demean. We come up with a lot of reasons to reject people in this life, and I always want to ask myself, is that doing likewise? You see, whenever we think whenever we hold prejudice, whenever we reduce someone, degrade, whenever we remove dignity, negatively assume, stereotype, judge, demean, whenever we fail to see the inherent worth and value of anyone for any reason, it's essentially like us saying to them, you are not my neighbor, I don't have to stop for you. And if we don't think someone is worth stopping for in the ditch, perhaps we are the one who is still stuck. Perhaps the compassion of Jesus needs to work its way deeper into our heart, our soul, and our mind. See, Jesus didn't outstretch his arms and let his sides get pierced so that we can put up barriers against us and other people. Jesus didn't triumph over sin and death so that we could speak heated words at people that we disagree with. Jesus didn't treat us, doesn't treat us like heirs to his throne so that we get to choose who is worthy of our dignity and respect. That the neighbor that you are called to love, to go and do likewise, to show compassion and restore dignity, like Jesus, is everyone. It's the person who looks differently than you. 
color of their skin might not match yours. It's the person who posts differently than you on Facebook. It's the person who voted differently than you in the last election. It's the person whose stance on doctrine might be slightly different than yours. It's the person who was from a different country, the person who lives in a different part of town, drives their kids to a different school, drives a different car. It's the person whose life past is different than yours, whose upbringing might not be the same, whose experiences don't match exactly what you've gone through in life. There's no doubt that there are differences in this life. But there is no difference that negates someone from being your neighbor who is deserving of your compassion and your dignity. We have all fallen short. We have all found ourselves in the ditch at times we must be reminded that we are all loved limitlessly by our God in heaven. But we do not love our neighbor as ourselves through arguments, through hatred, vitriol, ignorance, or social media peddling. It's only through the showing and showering of love, the restoration of dignity, extending mercy, respect, and compassion, a willingness to listen, to stop, to empathize, to repent, and ask for forgiveness. Because only then can we go and do likewise. So as we move to a time of response this morning, I want to close with a few thoughts. Number one is that I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself in some ways. I'm preaching to us. We are all guilty to some degree or another. There is no doubt that some of you have found yourself on the wrong side of this fence in life because of reasons out of your control. There are times in my life in which I did not instill dignity into others. Maybe it was in word, maybe it was in deed. More often than not, it was in thought. But just saying, well, they'll never know about it isn't okay. I found that I need to constantly reflect, repent of my ignorance, of who I am, of how I was brought up, and realize that every single person is loved, valuable by God. And it's not just how do I become dare I say, amicable with everyone, is how do I take a step forward? How do I learn, grow, empathize, and go above and beyond to show dignity and compassion to those that need it? How do I grow? How do I learn to do likewise? So let's talk about that video at the beginning for a second. There might have been something that, that stirred in you. There might have been something that, that made you uncomfortable. And we did that on purpose because we felt like that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan does. Now we chose some certain tensions, some, some racial tensions, some global ignorance tensions. We could have gone a few different other ways with it. We could have talked about politics, economics, or many other things in between. We could have used faces or names that oftentimes create a divide amongst people and even amongst people in the church. We could have showed you the face of Colin Kaepernick. 
the face of Donald Trump, the face of Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Ted Nugent, Kanye West, and on and on and on. The bottom line for this morning is that we as Christians were called to edify everyone, not tear them up. And as disciples, we ought to restore dignity and show compassion and never withhold it. We all need to love better, regardless. We need to do likewise. When the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's essentially asking the other side of the coin. Well, who do I still get to consider my enemy? And Jesus responds with no one. Deep down, that's a question of, do I believe that everyone, all of the neighbors in my life are loved and valued by God? And the answer is yes. So who is worthy of my love, compassion, and dignity? Everyone. Because to the one who is worthy of God's love, justice, and value is certainly worthy of ours. So as we continue to worship this morning, we want to offer you a chance to respond. We do this every single week by remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You could say that Jesus took us out of the ditch only to go place himself back in it. That we were left for dead and Jesus says, no, 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 let me die for you so that you may live, that you may have eternal life, that you may have a truth that transforms you in this life as well as the life that is and Jesus says, remember this every single time you gather. We call this communion. There are stations all throughout this room this morning. And at these stations, there's a little cracker and a little juice that represent the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Christ that was spilt for you. As the band continues to lead us in a few more songs, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to remember that this morning. As you approach that table, approach it with understanding this call to go and do likewise. Everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is worthy of the same love and compassion that Jesus extended to you. During this time, perhaps you came prepared to give back to God through your tithes and offerings, or maybe you wanna come forward to the front of the stage. We've got these prayer benches where you can kneel and bow and maybe you need to spend time repenting as I have this week, reflecting on the times in which I did not show dignity in the ways that I need to. Maybe you need to ask God to soften your heart to be able to respond to those injustices, not to slap back when you have been slapped, but rather to respond with compassion in return. That's hard. That's tough. But when we talk about Jesus flipping the world upside down and our understanding of how we live life, perhaps there's no greater response to that by saying the one thing Jesus has called us to do is to treat people 
the way that he treated us, especially even when we don't want to. Because what if we find ourselves in the ditch on the side of the road? Go and do likewise. Not go and choose likewise. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray and respond to the word of God? Lord, there is no doubt that your word is living and active. That your word has an ability to pierce our hearts and our minds. And in a room this morning, there are probably a lot of things running through a lot of our minds. Those of us who have held prejudice, those of us who have held ignorance, those of us who have not shown dignity, those of us who have had prejudice held against us, who are not treated fairly, who had dignity withheld because of many things. God, your word is clear. Your word is true. We thank you that you have given us new life through your son, Jesus. May that life not just set us up for eternity one day in heaven, but may it transform the way that we love you and love others as we live this life. It's your name that we pray. Amen.